1: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour. Rates on the run, stocks on the retreat, as inflation fears royal the markets once again. The Investment Committee on what all of that means to your money. And joining me for the hour today, Brenda Vingello, Jason Snipe, And right here at Post 9, Jim Labenthal and Steve Weiss. Let's check the markets. Carl said close to the highs of the day. We're off the lows. I mean, that's one of the key points. But we're still on pace for the worst week for the Dow since September 23rd. Big techs down, big today. NASDAQ is leading the decline, as you can see on your screen here, 1 and 2 thirds percent. Jimmy, hotter PCE. uh, Inflation, market doesn't like that today. Rates go up, stocks go down. It's pretty
2: simple. I'm trying to contain myself, Scott, but it's difficult. I think this move today is one of the most idiotic moves I've seen in the markets in quite a long time. Um, Today's news is not news, Okay, Last week, you had the CPI and PPI for the month of January. They showed that inflation blipped up in January. PCE today for the month of January, which I will remind everybody was 24 days ago that it ended, is once again showing it hot. Okay, that tells us nothing about where we're going. Prior to that, you had three months in which inflation reports came in better than expected. So the question before us, Scott, before the Fed, before any investor, is which which is the true story? Is January a blip or is it it a a new trend? And if you look at commodity prices, if you look at goods prices, they are clearly showing that the trend to disinflation is intact. The question that hangs there, Scott, is what's going on with wages. I don't know the answer, nobody knows the answer until we get next week's labor report. But to trade down today, whether you're an algo or a person, on yesterday's news, which is what today's PCE is, is idiotic. Today's news, Mester,
1: inflation's too high, do a little more to get price stability, bring interest rates above 5%, hold them there. How do you see it i mean jim he used the word idiotic on the on the
3: sell-off you know if i were on the wrong side of the trade i'd probably think it was idiotic also but i'm not so i continue to be bearish this fuels the bearish narrative it fuels the narrative of being uh, you know higher for longer with the fed the fed is going to err on the side of doing too much and i'll go back to what i said yesterday and all these times before Both can focus on a single data point. They can explain away, say, this was expected, you know, are you guys idiots? What's new here? Which is essentially what we saw just now from my colleague here. But the reality is, that, it's directional. The economy directionally is slowing while the Fed is raising rates. So what's idiotic is to have multiple expansion in that environment. Multiple expansion is fine when you have trough earnings. We're nowhere near trough. So the market is way overvalued, will continue to decline as the economy and inflation stays stubbornly high. I feel high.
2: really bad now. I feel really bad because now I realize I just pulled a wife saying idiotic. You're right, Steve. I shouldn't use idiotic. You know, because that's your uh, venue it's to say things It's fine to are, use, Jim, when you're talking are, about yourself, but say not about are others. Insane, stupid, stupidly insane, criminally insane. I mean, the number of adjectives that you've used when things are not going exactly your way to explain away data points is prolific. But I mean,
1: your your case, let me let's be honest, Okay, Um, It's very easy to be negative. I, I totally get it. But your case is harder to make because a good economy like you've been pointing out only means more activity from the Fed. Right. It means more demand that they need to crush it means rates are likely to continue to move up or at least stay elevated. And that's a problem for stocks, isn't it? Regardless of how idiotic you think this move is, that is a problem. And that's what Michael Hartnett talks about today and why he says from the Bank of America flow show, S&P goes to 3,800 by March 8th. That's a couple weeks away. He essentially makes the case, rates up, stocks down, not that complicated. Yields are going to go north of 4% and the S&P is going to go lower.
2: Give me, uh, Good job bringing it down to taking the insults out. But I, uh, I applaud you for that. Uh, give me next week's labor report. Let's see how average hourly earnings are. I, I hate to wait three weeks for the CPI PPI of February, but I'm telling you this is one man's opinion, just one man's opinion as far as what the Fed is going to do and the impact on the markets. You need to see February's inflation report to determine if January was an outlier or the start of a resurging inflation trend.
1: All right. So Brenda Vangelo, join the conversation. Weigh in on this little mini debate that we've had uh, to start the show here on the desk.
0: Sure, thank you. So I, th- I think that it, it could be that January just ended up being overly hot. That's the time of year when everybody puts your price increase, usually salaries go up. We also had that you know significant increase in social security benefits that really probably boosted um, consumption during that time. But at the end of the day, I think if we look at data right now, you cannot deny that the consumer is still incredibly strong. They're not spending on all the things they spent on during the pandemic, but they're absolutely spending on all kinds of other things. Like travel, um, as we heard from booking, things are really fantastic. They're spending on events and concerts. The consumer is still really strong. So I think, even though that likely means the Fed is going to continue to raise interest rates here, I also think it might paint a little bit of a different picture in the shorter term for corporate earnings, because I think we had all been expecting that things would be really starting to slow down, uh, that companies would no longer be able to pass along price and higher costs. And that dynamic might change a little bit particularly for those companies in the services sector where we're still seeing demand be really strong so I think it's not all potentially negative here But are we in for a choppy period I think absolutely until we can sift through all of this and really understand exactly what's happening but in my mind it's clear that the consumer is really strong and that's such an incredibly strong part of our economy uh, that in my mind that's, that's a positive.
1: Yeah. Jason Stuck, I mean, it's been in very, very much, in very many ways, the the year of the counter trend, you know, just to start in the first six weeks of the year. You've got the dollar, which is higher, fourth straight positive week. By the way, props to Liz Young, her final trade yesterday, UUP, getting a nice bump today. But it's been like the dollar up when people thought that peaked and it was coming down. It's technology making the move that it has with the NASDAQ and some of the more speculative names. You got this move today. You got the reality of higher rates. It's going to be a problem for stocks as long
4: as rates continue to go up, isn't it? Yeah. So, Scott, I, I mean, for, for me, as I think about what the price action has looked at looked like for the beginning of this year and, and, and what we saw in PCE today, you know, the, it, it really tags into, you know, even from the commentary from Mester earlier today, they will continue that the Fed will be data dependent uh, and they will be tactical going forward. The terminal rate will likely go above five and higher for longer narrative is very much in place. We heard that in the Fed minutes earlier this week as well. Um, and, and I think what, what, what Brendan said, I think there's some truth to some resiliency in the consumer. The consumer is strong. Uh, and, and they, they've sown some strength through uh, the last couple of quarters and all that we've seen with the Fed policy. You know, I, th- I think the other point is, you know, what is this blunt tool? What is the impact that it's having? You know, a two-year, um, you know, 4.8, you know, a 10-year close to 4%. You know, what, what is the impact, material impact on enterprise? And maybe it's not as blunt as, as we've seen. Yes, earnings have come down. Guidance hasn't been as strong. You know, but I still think there are pockets of strength. I mean, we've, we see Palo Alto now. we see Nvidia numbers you know this week we've seen some other some other companies that have beaten and raised you know so there are opportunities you just have to look a little bit harder than we have uh, you know over the last year or so so I think I think there's still opportunities in the market you just have to be mindful of what's happening all across the board
1: which is is why weiss you know it's not like Labenthal is the only person who sees the brighter side of, of where we are relative to where we've been And what lies ahead? Here's Mark Newton, All right? The technician over there from Closing Bell with me yesterday. Listen.
2: Well, I'm a bull, Scott. Look, I don't think think we've seen sufficient deterioration to think that this bull market rally has run its course. Um, We pull back exactly
1: to where we need to, to really hold the uptrend from October. It's not like we're falling out of bed, Weiss. I mean, rates have moved up, but the market's pretty stable, given a 379-point decline in the Dow, at least well
3: take a look at, it, at individual stocks but but y- y- Here's what troubles me most, or what I, what I wouldn't say troubles me, but what I'm most curious about is what is the bull case? Is the bull case that the Fed's going to stop sooner? It was a few weeks ago they're going to pivot, right? They'll go from tightening, which is ludicrous, right? Because then they'd lose all credibility if they, had, if they start cutting. So what is the bull case? Is the bull case the Fed's going to stop because inflation's coming down? No, the bull and- case is that there's going to be a soft landing, that the economy
1: is not going to get completely obliterated. Okay. That's the bull case. Right. At
3: least a key but, part of it. Okay, but 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 say that's the bull case. So what should valuation be? You're still at historically high even if you just say okay, earnings aren't going to decline any further. Why would you buy stocks here at this multiple? Okay, when you've got what is a restrictive economic backdrop Mm -hmm. with the Fed policy. All fair points. How how would you answer that then, Jim? Um,
2: I think it's actually a great question. And here is my answer. First off, you know, I don't buy the market. I buy stocks. You also know, you also know what I hue towards, which is value. We did this yesterday. You were dismissive of it, but I want to say it again. And I forget. I think it was Bill who said it yesterday. If you take out the top biggest eight stocks in the market, and I think this is relevant, Right. You take two turns off the multiple. Now start there. Okay. Also, if we are just taking the first quarter or the fourth quarter of last year and annualizing that, I think that's wrong. The bull case is I'm looking at the Atlanta Fed GDP now, uh, which just got revised up another two. No, I of know. Percent goldman GDP he just boosted. There's the 1.8. Here's the point that I'm driving. Right right before yeah, we can next year's out. earnings are right now around two fifty. Now I know I know your supposition. I respect it, but I disagree with it. That that number is too high. Okay. You really
1: think two fifty is reasonable? For next year given and let me ask you this because you kind of can't have it both ways if you think that the recession possibility is pushed further off like it obviously has been Mm -hmm. to a greater degree than I think people thought because of the strength in the economy now and the strength in the consumer if you think that that may come home to roost a little bit more the impact of all the Fed tightening is going to have a a more dramatic effect, but later down the road, then how can you still argue that you think earnings are right at 250?
2: Because, and it's a great question, because if you get two, let's say, two more 25 basis point hikes. I realize that's controversial, but this is why I'm so focused on inflation and what it's doing right now. If you get two more 25 basis point hikes and you're done in May, that gives the economy a lot of time to let that settle in. And you've heard me say this before. You go back to the late 90s, last five years of the 90s, Fed funds rate was around 6%. It's not the level of interest rates; no, It's the change in interest rates. What are the rates. chances,
3: the
1: realistic chances that you get two and not three? Because we're trending towards three. I think, it's but I think it's even realistic.
2: if you get two,
3: you have to assume that the impact of what the Fed's done to date is muted. That there does la- there's no lag effect. And the facts are there is a lag effect of six months. It could be as much as 18 months. So
2: let's See, just focus a year on into this, And, and okay. GDP is still growing and you've still got jobless claims below 200,000. I'm just reporting but the facts. why is that part of the bull case? To me, that's a
3: negative. Look, I'd can, be more you, bullish if I saw the Fed moves having a greater
2: impact because I'd say they're closer to being done. As we talked about yesterday, there's a muddle of data. And you can choose to focus on the positive, lay emphasis there, or you can choose to focus and lay emphasis on the negative. I have found in my life that it is odds-on by far the better choice to be optimistic. So what I mean by that is the fact the labor market is strong, the fact the financial system is really quite strong, okay, the fact that consumer balance sheets are still quite strong regardless of what consumer credit is doing. It's a moment doing. in time, Jim. It's a moment in time. Okay, but you've oh, been you saying label that since April. You've been saying negatives. that. You've been saying exactly that since April. And It's 10 months. Right. You haven't You've been right, Steve. Like you GDP that. has grown the whole time and the labor I'm market has stayed strong the whole I'm time. I'm talking about the market. It's All right, been dead Steve, right. you were right for a moment in time. It is time for you to change your tune. I've been you're right. St- for, are you still at 3,200 as you're targeting on the right S&P 500? I've been right for a year and a half. I think that's a greater possibility Bottom's over the in, Steve. six Bottom's months.
1: You, fix, you should pick up your microphone. Slip no, down. We you get so Scott. excited. No, he, no, he should. He's going to fix this microphone. And I'm going to bring up what Citi today said about this idea of what the Fed may do and what they think is gonna happen for stocks and earnings, which they say are being revised lower as we speak. The rally was mostly driven by a pivot. Expectation doesn't seem imminent. And they also see downside for equities. And, And by the way, they're going back to defense, Brenda. They want consumer staples, energy, materials, healthcare. What do you think?
0: I think this is a market where you have to pick your spots within different sectors and I would favor high quality companies but I would not become overly defensive by stocking back up on all the consumer staples and and, uh, utilities for example. Many of those stocks did incredibly well and held up over the last year. They're expensive. I think there are opportunities elsewhere. And within sectors, not necessarily favoring one over another, but I think this is just going to be a stock picker's market where you can find opportunities like a Disney, like an Adobe today that's down um, on this news that um, uh, the Figma acquisition is likely going to be blocked. Uh, you know there are opportunities out there. Uh, not every stock is expensive, uh, and I do think that many companies, as we even as we saw with Nvidia yesterday, uh, you know the quarter actually wasn't that great, but but I think investors. Are still getting excited about companies that really do still have a long runway of growth ahead of them, uh, and that are profitable. Uh, so I think there are absolutely uh, places you can uh, you can not hide, but just pick your spots. But I think it is definitely going to be more of a stock picker's market this year.
1: Weiss, I mean, you know, you've been trading a lot of you know in and out of a bunch of stuff, which you've done again. So you you have now sold Activision, yeah, which you bought. Because you thought what with the deal, with with Microsoft. The reason
3: why I bought Activision is because new titles. Number one, number two, their business was doing well. They did have a good quarter, not a fake good quarter with a, the minor beat and short covering. Um, and um, I'm optimistic about the the acquisition. Believe me, my downside's there, but. You're optimistic
2: about the acquisition? Yeah, I am. I'm am optimistic. That, that, about it. That, that does bear a pause. He's optimistic yeah. about anything. Sorry,
3: yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic about <laughs> it. Um, but, but the reason I sold it is I just want to. Keep well, up.
1: why would you sell it if you're optimistic about the acquisition? Because, the stock's uh, trading like what? Significantly below what the deal price is.
3: Right, but uh, it's not going to move. The reason I sold it is uh, because of the data that's come out over the last week and a half, with today, and I didn't sell all of it today. You know, I sold, sold some uh, before today. It just informs my view of the market, and I want to keep my exposure to a minimum. So I've got very low exposure now. Why do you own anything? Um, because I could be wrong. So I want to participate. So the idea for me is not to lose as much as everybody else and to be tactical in trading. So I've been able to do that successfully with some, not as successfully with others. Chevron was a disaster for me, but Deere worked out great. Palo Alto worked so you out just great, So You're
1: almost all out now of, of Palo Alto, right?
3: I am, I am. Because it's like everything else, you know? They, they pop, uh, like Nvidia. I, if I wanna buy Nvidia and I'd be a long way down before I do, I'll be able to buy it a lot cheaper than where it is now. So that's the kind of market you're in. So I'm trying to figure out how I make money tactically in this market and how I don't lose as much. Yeah, another
1: situation. So, so Jason Snipe, you know, as, as you know, we've made some, some trim moves on, on big tech over the last few days on this show. NASDAQ's down the most today, one and three quarters percent. Nvidia's given some back, and I'm going to type in Apple as we speak, because that's down 2%, and Microsoft is down 2%. What, what do you do with this group of stocks right here? Are you getting a sell signal because of this move in rates and where expectations are of what the Fed's going to do?
4: Yeah, so I'm definitely not opposed to to trimming some of the sugar-high bumps that we've seen in, in like the Palo Altos and the NVIDIAs of the world. But, you know, when, I, when I'm looking at this market, as, and as Brenda alluded to earlier, it's a stock pickers market, and paying attention to the fundamentals and the strong moats around some of these businesses, you know, like a name like Palo Alto, if you if you just think about cybersecurity and enterprise spend there, you know, I think the fundamentals continue to support the growth, and it's run a lot this year. So I think those are opportunities when you've got to exercise your cell discipline and potentially unload maybe small pieces of it. But I think the longer trend with some of these tech names, and, and for me, semis, and I've mentioned this on the show before, semis, I think, is where the real opportunity is in kind of the tech land. Uh, Megacap tech. Uh, you know, I'm not necessarily as excited about with a fed that's as engaged as they are and higher for longer as we talked about earlier so that's really kind of my outlook as as it relates to kind of software cloud and some of the tech related names here
1: so i know jim you're already underweight tech right but what do you do with industrial stocks which have to many people's surprise done well even in what appears to be a fragile (laughs) Economic environment. Like I got a Boeing today's down four and a half percent. I got Caterpillar down one percent. I got Deer down uh, one and two thirds. I'm pulling up Honeywell. You get the point here that, you know. Is this really a group of stocks you want to bet on right now?
2: Right. So I have a thesis, and not everybody has to agree with it. But whatever you do, you have to know why you are invested, whether you're a trader like Steve or a long-term investor like Jason, Brenda, and I are. Now, I have a long-term thesis that industrial activity is going to cont- continue to pick up over the next two years as all these semiconductor plants are built, electric vehicle charging networks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. In that paradigm, something like Caterpillar, Honeywell, these are probably going to grow in my thesis. My thesis. Not everybody has to agree with it. However, there is a body of thought would say these things have gone a lot further. And if you're in Steve's camp and you think things are a lot worse than I do, then, yeah, this is a time to lighten up. But let me be clear. I am not lighting up. I'm overweight industrials. My thesis, to me, is intact.
1: But the the implication you make, though, is that industrial stocks have a a few-year runway ahead of them almost no matter what happens in the economy because of the thesis you lay out about Onshoring and infrastructure spending, and that's, generally speaking, not how things work. Uh,
2: That things don't run in a straight line. I I would agree with you. And, you know, Jason and I were having a discussion on the morning call about NVIDIA. I know we're talking about industrials, but the the point is illustrated here. Ten days ago, NVIDIA was at 206. Yesterday, it was at 240, I think. Today is at 230. Um, Those sort of moves, you can try to make sense of them, but from my opening argument to you, Steve, excuse me, Scott and Steve, uh, I think those moves are idiotic. I don't think they inform you as to what you should do. Yes, industrials may give back some today, but my belief is that over the next two years, that is the place to be.
3: Let let me just give you the math on it. So the math on it is that the long-term returns in the market are really low double digits, right? If you go back to the beginning of time, even the last 50 years. So if I have the ability to buy Palo Alto at 115 change and see it go up to 185, right, that's a 20% return. So maybe I didn't didn't sell at quite the top and I sold some before the quarter, but if I can generate a return of even 10% in a compressed period of time and control my risk, I'd be foolish to not take advantage of that. So with my investment strategy and and the people that are involved with me, Mm We're concerned about preserving capital, number one. We don't equate volatility with risk, so I'm happy to tolerate the volatility. But at the end of the day, when you see these these multi-year moves happen in a month, how do you not sell in this environment? It's not like you're in in a roaring bull market, right? And particularly when you have a bearish view of the market, you have to ring the cash register.
2: You might actually be in a bull market, Steve, and this is a point I tried to make yesterday. you got the golden cross in terms of the technicals, 50-day on the Jim, S&P you, you, 500. You you why don't you let me finish? Are you, are you afraid strategy. I might say something yeah, that, that, that dissuades you? You have know, no I, fear of that. <laughs> okay, you've got a series fear. of higher highs and higher lows. I mean, this is a trending upward market, notwithstanding what's happening today. And I respect what you try to do. I disagree with it, but I respect it. Here's why I disagree with it. Most people, maybe not you, get at least one of the two necessary Decisions wrong. The two necessary decisions are: when am I going to sell temporarily, and when am I going to buy back in? With a lot of experience, with individuals who I advise, I can tell you that by far the vast majority get that decision wrong, and it hurts their overall long-term wealth creation. Well, they're,
3: they're, they're coming to you for advice, okay? I'm the one they come to you for, for advice also. So, you have a different methodology. Say, look, there's nothing wrong with your strategy, and you tell your investors you say what your investment strategy is, and they buy into. It. That's why they're with you, right? So what you do, you do, and you do it very well. I just have a different strategy and look at things differently. Exactly. And what I'd say is I'd rather be bullish. There are periods where I'm bullish for long periods of time. I do have long-term holdings, but I'm also taking a look at, at what's given to me. So if I walk to a restaurant, you know, if I walk to a Japanese restaurant and want sushi and, you know, uh, uh, or, sorry, more pasta, I'm not going to get it because they're only serving sushi. In this market, if I want to be a long-term holder, I'm going to find a better point of entry as I have continually. Steve, I my- I know you're good at what you do.
2: I know you're good. I'm telling everybody right now, Steve's good at what he does. But I'm also going to tell you this. It's awfully hard to replicate what Steve does. It's awfully hard. I see more people fail than succeed at it.
1: All right. That's the last word there. Let's take a quick break. Up next, the trillion-dollar call heard around the street today. Morgan Stanley says one big bank stock to hit a trillion-dollar market cap over the next handful of years. We are going to name it. We're going to debate it. And we're going to do it in two minutes. All right, welcome back. You want to talk about a big call today? How about Morgan Stanley saying that J.P. Morgan could hit a trillion dollar market cap, one trillion dollar market cap by 2030? We've made it our call today. I understand it's a ways off, Brenda, who owns J.P. Morgan. What do you make of this call?
0: Well I think if we look within the banking sector G.P. Morgan is a standout in terms of being the highest quality name they have a ton of diversification within their business they've been investing a lot in technology and other things it should allow them to continue to gain market share within the space so to the extent that that continues and um, I think that they, they could continue to grow and potentially hit uh, that uh, you know market cap range trillion dollar market cap range by 2030 uh, but you know it remains to be seen you know between now and then we are likely to have a recession uh, which could certainly weigh on results uh, but again just looking at J.P. Morgan this is the highest quality company within the group incredibly diversified revenue mix uh, so they should be relatively insulated from that um, but that's our overall view it's possible uh, but it, that, um, given that given the, the strength of the company uh, but uh, not sure if it's necessarily going to happen by 2030
1: okay. so so Jim Labenthal, who owns it too uh, possible anything's possible is it probable I mean when you hear a call like this as I said you you own the stock higher rates for longer is part of the thesis in making this call they call it an underappreciated rate play.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I agree with underappreciated, but I agree with the call. Um, you agree you know, with the call? I agree with the call. And you. I mean, you highlighted it's a long ways off, seven years, you know, to get basically I mean, It's not a, that
1: far off. I and mean, when you really think about it, to get to a trillion dollar market cap for a, a stock that's at $415 billion right now. now.
2: Exactly. So that's a mid to high teens annualized return. That's not what the market overall is going to give you. If, however, you believe the thesis that I was laying out before, all well, that industrial activity does need to be financed, that does it newer to the of the financial sectors, of which, as Brenda just said, J.P. Morgan really is the creme de la creme. Now, we can quibble about whether its valuation is exactly right right now at roughly 1.5 times book value, higher than that in terms of tangible book, 3% dividend yield, 10 times earnings. But if the thesis that I laid out comes to pass, I think actually a trillion dollars, 150% return, over the next seven years is very feasible.
1: Thank you for waiting until he finished to jump in, because I could tell that you really wanted to, Weiss. <laughs> uh, so now, please. Yeah, yeah. The stage is uh, So been it cleared was good
3: I had that pause, because I'm ratcheting back what I'm going to say or maybe how I'm going to say it. But, but look, if the analysts set out to write a report to get people talked about, well, obviously, mission accomplished. In order for it to more than double, be up 250% in, in seven years, a lot has to go right. I suspect during that period of time, Jamie Dimon is going to retire. So maybe not, right? Because he we saw him yesterday, he's he's still got it all, still got the fire and everything. But maybe he won't be there. But you have to bet he's gonna be there because we don't know who's on the bench coming up behind him. Okay, we've seen some people on a bench, like Staley, right? And what happened there, so thankfully he didn't take it. So you the bet's got to be on so many things, and then you gotta bet in the economy, you gotta bet in rates, you gotta bet on, on frankly. The the government, the regulators allowing to be a trillion dollars. Which dollar financial
1: dollar. stock, now not necessarily hitting a trillion dollars, right. because that may be a silly argument, but which which financial would you bet on the most, irrespective of what market right. cap you think it could
3: ultimately right. reach? From a beta standpoint, I'd actually bet on Goldman because Goldman is more concentrated in the higher margin businesses than JP Morgan. JP Morgan, to Brenda's point, has lots of diverse businesses which protect you in the downturns and protect you for these off cycles where there's no issuance.
1: So Jason Snipe, you got Goldman, right? Is that where you place your bet over the long term? If you had to pick one financial stock, which would it be?
4: It's wild. But I, I agree with Weiss here. I, 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 Goldman was actually my stock summit pick, you know, and, and I, if I think about the latest quarter, you know, underwriting was down 48 uh, percent. Revenues were down 16 percent. They're right sizing the business as it relates to personnel. Um, the retail play that they made is, hasn't worked out as as, as they had Uh, intended it to do so, and and I think that also is going to be catalytic, catalytic to the stock. Um, And I think IB will come back online. I mean, we're in a higher rate environment, you know, at some point that activity will come back. And I think Goldman obviously is the best in breed in that space and will benefit from that big time. So that's why I like the stock and Goldman actually would be my pick as well in the space. So, so Jim, I mean, you know, you, you called, I think you said crown
1: jewel when talking about JP Morgan. Now, if you had to pick one of of the three that you do own, what you do own? Goldman, I and do. you own Citi, and you own JPM. Yeah. JPM's the crown jewel in in your portfolio for that space?
2: So I I may have chosen my words incautiously or incorrectly. It's the creme de la creme within the space. However, you you pointed out my other picks. I do like Goldman quite a bit. Steve and I agree on something. The fun one for me is Citigroup, which is trading at such a discount to the overall sector that I could see actually better returns there, even though it is far from the creme de la creme within the industry. I do want to point one thing out. I actually did the math, all right? It's actually a 14% annualized return over 7% to get to a trillion dollars. Is that higher than the market average? Yes, it is. Is it outlandish? No, not if they execute well. Your point about Jamie Dimon is well taken. Um, however, this is a sector that I want to be in. And the way I like playing it is to have the creme de la creme and a little dark horse here with Citigroup. I'm
1: just curious. I don't know the answer to this, so it's maybe unfair to even ask it. Or, or bring it up, but when's the last time that these stocks have had that degree of annualized return for that long a period of time? Well, I, you know, I do Dare don't, I say never? Because I mean, honestly, I don't know the answer I, to I, that question, have to but I'm, I'm guessing not... It.
2: Without, u- without using recently. the numbers, because I don't have the numbers in front of me, but you'll remember going into the financial crisis, and I know how that sounds, okay, but those three years going into the financial crisis, the financial sector was on fire. There's a hell of a lot well, of wrong with what gonna, I just said, well, all right? You're, of course you're going to get a you few years' time. You have 30 to one time, multiple
1: there. Of course you're going to get a few years' time, but you need, as you said, seven years But they're not of, structured.
3: Of I mean, from a regulatory standpoint, they're so much different than they were before 08 because of 08. So you're not going to have that kind of beta in the group anymore because the, the capital control is so tight. All right,
1: straight ahead. Our chart of the day, it's a healthcare stock feeling under the weather recently. It's having its worst week in nearly a year. A member of the investment committee owns it as well, which means we debate that next.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close?
6: Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Seema Modi. Here's our CNBC News update. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky says the fact that China has started talking about Ukraine is not bad and could help isolate Russia. But at a news conference making the one-year anniversary of Russia's invasion, Zelensky said the question is what follows the words. Beijing is calling for a ceasefire and peace talks, but the U.S. is skeptical, pointing to China's self-proclaimed no-limits friendship with Moscow. In a new statement issued about a half hour ago, the G7 nations are demanding that Russia end its aggression and withdraw from Ukraine immediately, saying Russia started the war and Russia can end it. They say they will never recognize the illegal annexation of any part of Ukraine. And while heavy snow and wind are still hitting parts of the Midwest, specifically Minnesota, forecasters now expect conditions to start clearing today and into the weekend, even as Los Angeles area is getting hit with its first blizzard warning since 1989. Scott, back to you.
1: All right, Seema, appreciate that very much. Thank you, Seema Modi. All right, let's get to our chart of the day. It's Moderna. SVB Securities downgrading it to underperform. The target goes to 93 from 111. That's following the earnings miss. Weiss, this is yours. Yep. This is your stock. Um, so what do you what do you
3: make of this call? Is it time to, to sell? You know, um, look, uh, I did to Moderna what I've done to all the other stocks. stock had a major move up to about 220 or so. Mm-hmm. Didn't catch the top. But... This is a catalyst-driven stock. So the catalysts were the the RSV vaccine, Mm -hmm. fast-tracking that, and the data. Uh, and um, also the personalized cancer vaccine. So once that happened, if you take a look at their pipeline, which is monstrous, over 50 therapeutic vaccines, not a lot is expected. So I took the opportunity to shave it, uh, shave it significantly. So I still own it, I still believe that ultimately it'll be the most valuable healthcare company out there, pharma, biotech, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so I'll keep the position.
1: But you, well, it's like advising, because you know I know that you've talked about this stock for a while now. Right. Advising people who don't own it, since you've been reducing, would you enter now, or no? You know, you make a bullish long-term thesis, but not necessarily in the near term. No, no, not.
3: I I have no expectations near term, but you never know what's going to happen with data, right? In terms of the data on their on their pipeline, Um, given my market view, um, I probably wouldn't put new money in it today, but you know, uh, take a long-term view, maybe if your position's 100 bucks, you could put 10 or $20 into it today. I don't know, but it would not be a full position. And I
1: it. ask you the question because now that the COVID sales boom, if right. you want to call it that, is ostensibly over, Yep. Uh, a lot has to go right, right. At, from, from here forward. Which is another reason
3: why I shaved it, because you're not seeing that uptick anymore. So what have they done? They've raised their price in the vaccine, by almost, you know, tenfold in some cases, not fivefold in some cases, right? But yet, COVID's cured, as far as everybody knows, right? You know, so not the case. But uh, yeah, they still got a great war chest. They'll still make money, and the pipeline still come to fruition. So how you present value that is really the key.
1: How so, long did you own this stock for? I've
3: how many, owned this how stock many years since um, since right before, right as the pandemic was happening? So I bought my original position was in the 20s and sized up and, you know, nowhere near got the top of 500, actually still pretty optimistic at 300s and so. So it's been a wild ride, but still been a great ride for
1: them. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm glad we addressed that. I know people wanted to hear your thoughts on it, given yeah. that given that downgrade in your history and the stock. Coming up, the earnings parade rolling on next week. We're going to give you the playbooks ahead of some of those key reports. But first, as we had to break a message from Compass founder and CEO Robert Refkin as CNBC celebrates black heritage.
7: I know that I'm only here today because incredible black leaders paved the way by creating opportunities for me and my generation. I remember my early 20s on Wall Street, trailblazers like Vernon Jordan, Bill Lewis, Ray McGuire. They were an example to me of what was possible. And they gave me advice, mentorship, and ultimately the confidence and motivation to pursue my dreams and found Compass. I'm going to work as hard as I possibly can to be a positive example for others of what is possible.
1: We have another busy week of earnings coming up. A number of consumer and tech names are set to report. Brenda, I want to go to you first, uh, because I'm thinking about Salesforce, given all the noise in the news around it. How are you thinking about the earnings report, possibility there's more news related to the at least handful of activists that are involved?
0: I think we're going to hear probably that the quarter had another pretty sluggish growth quarter. I wouldn't expect things to change materially from what we've seen uh, recently there. But I do think that there's going to be a renewed focus on profitability and how they're going to manage that. Uh, through reducing workforce um, and and right-sizing their commitment to real estate, so I think we're likely to hear about that given the pressure from having five activists involved. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think it's going to be all about profitability and profit margins this quarter.
1: Jason Snipe, it brings me to you because you're really going to be on the clock next week in terms of your retail ownership after a week that's really not good. The XRT is down 7%. so worst week since last summer uh, in July. You got Target, you got AutoZone, you got Lowe's, you got Costco. And the next week is dotted with days where all of those companies
4: report. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Scott. And, and, you know, my retail exposure, I've I've been underweight, but I own these names. Um, So as it relates to Costco, I mean, Costco reports monthly numbers, which is always helpful for folks like me. I mean, uh, comps were up around, well, sales were up around 7% as it posted on February 1st. Comps were up around 5.6%. You know, I really like their Kirkland brand, um, Trade Down. I think... Costco, with their annuity membership business, is just, I mean, really high retention rates. I just just like the business. It's well run. It trades at a premium to the market at 32 times, but I just, I overall just like the business. Target for me, you know, as it relates to the inventory story, I mean, this has been a quarter to quarter issue. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about that. I think if we might see another issue this quarter. And also their product mix, um, which, which tends to be a little bit more discretionary in nature, uh, which I believe also could, could see some headwinds here as, as folks are really looking for the staples, um, you know, and shopping for the staples and consumer behavior is somewhat different than it was, you know, a year ago. So not overly excited about the retail sector uh, here going forward if Fed still engages, as we talked about earlier in the show. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli. He
1: has his midday word. He'll be right here post nine with us. And later, we're going to grade your trades as well. You can email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us. If you do, use the hashtag grade my trade. We're right back after this. We're back with senior markets commentator Mike Santoli for his midday word here at Post 9. what are you thinking about as this week comes to a close?
7: It's, you know, it's one of those times where you ask, is, is the market underreacting to what's happening in bonds or is it just that we kind of saw where we were headed roughly um, and that there are offsets to having an even better consumer and even higher incomes than we expected coming into the year? Um, I thought we'd maybe get a maybe a longer test of, of some of these, you know, moving averages and the trend line. Trend lines in the S&P 500, but I feel like it's almost a net positive on uh, You know, you don't want to really be uh, mindless about the risks here, but it's a net positive that we're kind of holding in where we are, at least right now. It's still a one month low. Uh, you know, it gets us back, interestingly, the S&P right to where it was two years ago. So I, when we get into that two years no progress type zone, it, feel, it starts to feel, I think, for longer term money as if, well, you know how much worse can it get? It seems like it's already we've already chewed through a lot of the big issues that we have to. You, I, I, I'm sure,
1: can understand then how you could have two diametrically opposed positions on the current state of sure. the market as you do from these gentlemen here to our
7: left. I do, without a doubt. Um, You know, you can spin valuations as being rich or being just what they probably are on the average stock, you know, given the fact that uh, we have a higher earnings base than we had pre-pandemic. And look, the early cycle sectors, why why have they been outperforming since October? It's confounding. And the momentum signals that we got give a little bit of a benefit of the doubt to, to the bullish case that there's something being sniffed out by the market. The problem is, you know, the yield hurdle keeps getting higher. Mm -hmm. uh, And, uh, and, you know, we keep pushing off that moment when we're going to have the Fed fully uh, priced in a secure way.
1: Yeah, I'll see you in a little bit uh, on Closing Bell. That's that's Mike Santoli. Coming up, Grade My Trade is next. You still have time to send us an email to cnbc.com. I said you can tweet us as well, and uh, we'll be right back to do that. We're going to do Grade My Trade now, and it is for Farmer Jim Labenthal from Mike Keller. I bought Boeing around 158 on your recommendation and low valuation. Thank you, Jimmy. I have a nice gain, and wondering if I should hold or sell or potentially even buy more on the dip. It's a large position, more than 10% and has helped the overall performance of the portfolio. Okay, so what do you tell Mike?
2: All right, first off, sorry, I didn't hear the more than 10% part until you said that. Uh, It's too much, Mike. It's just too much, just trim it back. That's too big of a position. Now, having said that, I still believe in Boeing. Uh, We've got some news today. Great trade, A+, including the size. Now, trim it, please, okay? We got some news today about some problems with the 787.
1: Suspending deliveries for what has been suggested by the reports a documentation issue.
2: Uh, yeah, it seems it sounds trivial, right? Who know? Who knows? Who knows? Now, so far, Boeing is saying that they're not going to adjust their projected deliveries for the year. If that turns out to be true, then this is a big nothing burger today. However, uh, credibility of management, which Scott, you and I have talked about a lot, okay, it has picked up a lot in the last year, including for me, who who lambasted the management uh, about ten months ago. I have changed my tune. However, Please, Mr. Calhoun, do not let this be something that tarnishes your reputation that you've worked very hard as a competent, successful, accomplished manager of turning around Boeing. Be true. And if things change, I understand that. Sometimes in investing, you get bad news. But I'd like to believe that what he asserts and that this is not going to change deliveries for this year are true.
1: Okay, we will take another quick break and we will do final trades when we come back. To take it right up to the close of the week on the closing bell today three o'clock eastern time joe terranova will be with me and courtney gibson is back i'm so excited about that so we'll see those two on closing bell along with greg branch too as we take you uh into overtime to finish this week let's do final trades here brenda final what do you got i
0: think it was a company that didn't have to last year looking forward area that's really going to be expensive, but
1: an area that's likely to spend a lot of money. All right. Yeah. A little bit of uh, microphone issues there, obviously. Uh, Zoetis was the final trade for those of you who didn't hear it and maybe uh, not be looking right now. Uh, Jason Snipe, what do you got?
4: Arista Networks this is the lead supplier of cloud network solutions, double beat and arrays. I like this stock here.
2: Okay, Farmer Jim. Alaska Airlines. I mean, TSA traveler counts still show that really there's a lot of demand for air travel. Ticket prices are high. Uh, Fuel costs are not a problem right now.
1: All right, and finally, Mr. Weiss.
3: Anything in the short end of the curve. So it says a two year treasury up there, but why wouldn't you take, why wouldn't you buy the one year with a five plus percent yield tax advantage and wait this volatility, wait the downside out, and then put money in? The the
1: six month is getting a lot of talk, too. It's, you know, like almost 5% there, too.
3: Exactly. I think it's 4849. Yeah. So that's the place to be. All right.
1: All right. Good stuff. Everybody, great weekend. But I'll see you on the closing bell before you're, you're allowed to take the weekend. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive...